The climate is changing. So are we. I'm Laura Lynch, and I host What on Earth? That's CBC's Climate Solutions podcast. Twice a week, we take you around the world to find the people who are trying to build a better future for all of us. We explore Indigenous science, new technologies. We talk openly about mental health and climate anxiety. We also take your smart questions all the time. Come find What on Earth wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. Canadians love to talk about the weather, but this summer, a more urgent question is on their minds. Will the closest ER be open if and when we need it? ER closures in rural and remote parts of Canada used to be nearly never events. Now, right across Canada, they're becoming commonplace. Tonight, as hospital staffing shortages mount across the country, urgent calls from doctors. Right now, if my loved one gets sick, I'm not sure if I would send it to my hospital. The emergency department at Soldiers Memorial Hospital in Middleton, Nova Scotia, has operated on reduced hours due to a lack of physicians. On nights when the ER is closed, there is no doctor on the premises. In June, on one of those nights, nurses had to summon members of the volunteer Middleton Fire Department to resuscitate a patient who was admitted on one of the floors. In a letter to Middleton's town council, the deputy chief of the fire department wrote this. I find this very concerning to know that not only is our emergency department failing our community, now our inpatients are at risk with no doctor providing coverage to the medical floor. Is this a new normal for Soldiers Memorial Hospital? To help us answer that question, we've reached out to Kevin McMullen. He's been a paramedic for more than 40 years in Nova Scotia. Currently, he's the business manager for the union which represents paramedics across the province and has seen firsthand how strains in the emergency department affect patients. Kevin McMullen, welcome to White Coat Black Art. Thanks, Brian, and thank you for having us. What do you know about what happened at Soldiers Memorial in Nova Scotia? Basically, all I know is the same as what uh, you've received through media. Unfortunately, there was an incident on one of the medical floors where there's no physician uh, available to respond. And at that time, as per what is normally done in uh, hospital settings, 911 was activated, which uh, connects to the emergency medical uh, center that we have based in Halifax and it dispatches uh, medical first responders from our fire departments and also uh, a care team from our ambulance services dispatched also. How often have you been called in your career as a paramedic to the hospital to help at a hospital code blue? Oh, probably at least a half a dozen times in recent years. You said it was your sen- your anecdotal sense that, that this is happening more often, that, that uh, first responders in Nova Scotia are being summoned to a hospital to provide advanced cardiac life support. Do you have any sense as to why that's happening? It's probably because of the lack of physicians now across the province. So many of our physicians, especially during COVID times, have retired. And uh, we haven't been aggressive enough in uh, recruiting new physicians via the schools. And, and that's unfortunate, you know, and, and that's probably the uh, result of past, uh, you know, governments that have not turned around and, and 
looked at the forecasting of the future of the aging population of the physicians and how are we going to replace them. That combined with an increase in our population in Nova Scotia, where we are growing rapidly. So EHS, and every time I've done a, we've done a story from from uh, Nova Scotia, EHS has been stretched to the limit. So you must have colleagues who mutter under their breaths and sigh when they're called into the hospital to participate in a code blue. Oh yes, yeah, very much so. You know, and, and the mutter and sigh at the system in itself. You know, because of the way the system has gone into a problematic system of having less ERs to transport. So, for example, if you're in a rural area, you used to be able to transport to the nearest hospital might only be 15 minutes away. Now your transport may be up to an hour. So as a result, it means that you have patient care issues for a longer period of time. And then with less ERs open, they're becoming clogged at these regional centers. And as a result, our paramedics are not able to offload. So they're stuck in an offload delay situation that normally should only take 30 minutes is now taking hours and hours. And that is stretching our resources even thinner. Yeah, I've, I have interviewed paramedics who have stood uh, beside the stretcher of patients uh, at Halifax emergency departments for a full 12 hour shift. So, so I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, when the story first broke that uh, the Soldiers Memorial Hospital had to call uh, first responders from the uh, Middleton Fire Department to to respond to a code blue at Soldiers Memorial. Uh, you know, there was there was a lot of general comment and outrage, but on social media, a lot of people pointed out that many rural hospitals in Nova Scotia don't have a physician in the hospital at night. At those hospitals, nurses and other healthcare providers run the code blue until doctors arrive, and that's the normal situation for them. So, do you think the concerns raised in the case of Soldiers Memorial have been exaggerated? No, not not in the least. You know, every community deserves to have, you know, a physician there. And they, they should, at a hospital, have a physician available. But unfortunately, as everyone knows, the resources just aren't there anymore for us. And, and that's very unfortunate. It's not exaggerated. If I was in Middleton, I'd be the same way. I'd want to have a physician there. And, and more so, you know, uh, sometimes we're stretched and the ambulance space we have in there our resources at that ambulance space may be providing uh, care at, an, at a further distance somewhere else for someone that they transported, that they normally would transport to Soldiers Memorial, but now they've had to transfer it to Kentville, to the regional hospital. So it's a distance away. They're out of their service area. Yeah, those are concerns that we're trying to address all the time in our talks with the government, with EHS, with the employer, and all the stakeholders. We want to make sure we have those resources. We have to look at a different alternative way of delivering medicine. Kevin, uh, focusing on Cape Breton, I'm, I'm wondering how the emergency department closures there have played out for patients. Do you have a story? Yeah, it's it's been rather difficult uh, for us in Cape Breton. Uh, you know, I, I know, like, I'm from Cape Breton, and... Uh, we used to have an emergency department in Glace Bay, New Waterford, Northside, and the Cape Breton Regional. We no longer have that luxury. We have one ER at the Cape Breton Regional. There's different solutions out there, Brian, and it's difficult. 
and everybody would like it fixed yesterday, but unfortunately, it takes time to implement new changes. Kevin McMullen, thank you for speaking with us. No problem at all, Brian. Thank you for your time. Kevin McMullen is a veteran paramedic in Nova Scotia and the business manager for the union that represents paramedics across the province. We asked Nova Scotia's Emergency Health Services, EHS, to comment on that situation in June in which first responders at Middleton Fire Department were called in to assist a resuscitation. This is an excerpt of a statement they sent us. In time-sensitive medical emergencies, EHS operations has responded to 911 calls at hospitals when care is required. Our thoughts are with the individual's family and friends at this very difficult time. We'll be right back. I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. And I'm Harvinder Vadva. We're the hosts of Inappropriate Questions, and we're back with Season 3. With some fantastic guests, we break down questions like... Is asking where are you from appropriate small talk? Is it okay to ask a co-worker how much do you make? Should you ask a polyamorous person, do you get jealous? Inappropriate Questions Season 3. Available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. This week, the simmering crisis at Canada's emergency departments. ERs were once seen as the place that stays open and takes any crisis thrown its way. But that's far less so these days. Rural emergency departments are cutting hours of operation. Large urban ERs may not be closing their doors, but they too are under stress. It's a problem that has gotten the attention of a colleague of mine whose opinion is well worth knowing. Hi, my name is Catherine Farner. I'm the deputy editor of the Canadian Medical Association Journal, and I'm also an emergency physician in Toronto. In an article that was published in June in the Canadian Medical Association Journal, Dr. Varner wrote that Canadian emergency departments face another summer of record-setting wait times and closures with dire consequences for patients, providers, and the healthcare system itself. As I said, Dr. Varner and I are colleagues. When we work alongside one another, she's unflappable, which is why her article got my attention. Dr. Catherine Varner, welcome to White Coat Black Art. Thanks for having me, Brian. As I mentioned off the top of the show, emergency departments in rural and remote areas that close for anywhere from 12 hours or a long weekend or even a month, we've heard in some cases, that's become normalized. What do you think of that? I think we can all agree that this is not normal. And emergency departments uh, have not been closing at rates that we've seen over the last few summers ever. Uh, And I think that all of us in emergency medicine would agree that this is unprecedented. You've described it as if a regular shift in the emergency department these days is like attending a mass casualty event. It's quite a graphic image, and I wanted you to paint a picture of what that looks like to you. Now, there have been times over the last two years where, and standing in our waiting room with many patients waiting to be seen, many of whom are uncomfortable and sick, where you want to sort of shout at the rooftops and say, this is what a healthcare system in collapse looks like uh, and and what it feels like, because you feel that you cannot provide the care that patients need in the waiting room 
And it, uh, is, it has been really difficult, I think, for all emergency providers who feel uh, crowding on a regular basis now in our departments. You know, it's telling. Uh, I remember not too many years ago, you know, doing shows maybe 10 or 15 years ago on hallway medicine. And, and it isn't hallway medicine anymore. Now it's waiting room medicine. I mean, it's, I would consider it a whole new field of medicine and, and um, understanding how to practice medicine is, is practicing in a waiting room. You know, seeing and examining a patient in a waiting room chair is very different than, than how we're trained as emergency medicine providers. And uh, it's, it's quite uncomfortable, certainly for the patients and also for the providers who are trying to do their best amidst you know, really challenging circumstances. But we adapt because emergency physicians are supposed to be adaptable. And, and so what are some of the adaptations that, that you've made, that, that institutions have made to allow us to try to do the best job that we can under dire circumstances? I think, I think you're right, Brian. I think we are incredibly malleable as a profession. You know, we certainly saw that in the pandemic as we had to alter a lot of the ways that we that we practice you know, medicine with PPE and PPE use on a regular basis. But that has has continued in this situation of crowding that's that seems to have continued where um, we have to adapt in ways where, you know, trying to maintain a patient's privacy in a waiting room is particularly challenging. And so you adapt and try to find unconventional care spaces to see and look after patients and, a pro and you know, make a private space for them such that they can tell you um, how, um, how they're feeling and what's brought them into the emergency department. Unconventional spaces. Can you, can you say more about that? I've heard from emergency colleagues uh, across the country that they're seeing patients in their driveways and, and in some cases in the backs of ambulances because they don't have the space to see patients physically in their departments. And that is very distressing uh, for providers who are facing, um, you know, seeing a patient in a driveway in a stretcher uh, or the back of an ambulance. And, you know, that's not where we are taught or trained how to care for patients. Uh, and it, and it, it's even though it would seem like we do have uh, the skills to look after patients in the back of the ambulance, that's that's not how we're trained to to care for patients. And those are those are um, environments that that are unconventional uh, by definition. You mentioned patients briefly and their families, and I'm reminded patients and families try to catch my eye as I run by because I'm usually running from patient to patient. Um, have you ever had that experience? And what's that like for you? Uh, absolutely. Uh, people, when they come into the emergency department, are often having some of the most difficult days of their lives, and uh, they're experiencing pain that they've not experienced before. And you, as a provider, want to be able to help them in that moment and in the moment that they are reaching out, physically reaching out for help. And uh, like you, Brian, you know, sometimes you feel like you're running around so fast that you can't. And that's a really distressing and overwhelming feeling to have. And unfortunately, one that we're having on a fairly regular basis. The distress that patients describe, um, which starts as frustration and fear, and then it over the hours that we're looking after them turns into profound disappointment is really what I'm hearing 
uh, from patients who are what I would characterize as being stuck in a waiting room, facing hours, if not days on a hallway stretcher while they're being, while they're, you know, waiting hospital admission. I think that you and I have done a good job of painting a picture of what's going on. I want to dig into some of the reasons why, and, uh, you know, you, you, you are, of course, are, are not just a great colleague. You're also a great writer, and your editorial in the Canadian Medical Association Journal is one of the reasons why I was anxious to speak with you. In your estimation, what are some of the main reasons why emergency departments are in crisis these days? I think the main factor is hospital overcrowding. Canada does not have enough acute care hospital beds per capita. You know, we have the lowest, one of the lowest rates of hospital beds per capita of the OECD nations. And what that means is that when all of the hospital beds are full and patients from the emergency department need to be admitted to hospital, they remain in the emergency department until that hospital bed is available. And so that means that patients who are already admitted to the hospital remain and are what's called boarded in the emergency department. And that number of hours on average has increased to unprecedented levels over the last two years. And that has caused crowding at levels that we've never seen before in Canadian emergency departments. And so what used to be hallway medicine is now very clear that it's waiting room medicine. And, you know, it's interesting what you're saying. Um, it, it, it's not just that the system hasn't adapted, but patients have changed. Now, I've been practicing for 40 years, more than 40 years, and I can tell you that emergency departments were once built to take care of people who required episodic care. And, and, and the worst case scenario was that they had life-threatening surgery and they, you know, they needed to go to the operating room. Sometimes they needed to have you know, coronary arteries unblocked uh, or acute management of strokes, antibiotics for pneumonia. And we still see those patients, but we also see a huge number of people who have complicated problems, complex patients who, who really require us to dig in and, and spend a lot of time with them, a lot of time just figuring out what's happened to them over the last six months or a year. Uh, and, and, you know, what do you see as the impact of, of increasingly complex patients on the work that we're trying to do in the space that we're trying to do it? It is along the same lines of our lack of resources in the system, like in the same way that we don't have enough hospital beds in the Canadian healthcare system. We don't have enough specialists. We don't have enough diagnostic imaging. We don't have enough operating rooms. And so uh, what happens is, is that complex patients that have a lot of medical needs then find themselves needing to come to the emergency department because they can't access that specialist or they, they are waiting for surgery that is causing you know, very difficult day-to-day -day symptoms. And so the reliance on the healthcare system, on the emergency department is quite unique, I think, to, to Canada. And it creates more crowding uh, than in potentially in other similar healthcare systems across the world. You know, and I, I think that we, we can't underestimate the impact of the proportion of patients who are aging. And I think we would be naive to think that the older our patient population gets, the 
more they're going to need emergency services. And we have done nothing to plan for that. Uh, and I think that uh, you know, some of the measures going forward have to look at how can we prevent our aging population from uh, needing to seek non-urgent care in the emergency department uh, or prevent some of the emergency department visits. So what do we do? You know, I, I, I'm not asking you to, to prescribe fixes for the system, but there are things that we can do. And I know you talked about some of them in your editorial. What can we do to try to build up some capacity for emergency care and at the same time build up some capacity uh, for alternate levels of care so that people don't necessarily have to go to the emergency department? So there's no one easy fix. And um, if anybody suggests that there's an easy fix, there isn't. And, you know, the, the immediate need in emergency departments is to focus on crowding and uh, the extended periods of boarding that admitted patients are staying in the emergency departments. Uh, we know that those patients are at much higher risk of dying during that admission if the longer they stay in the emergency department. And so if we as a system, and by system I mean hospitals, provincial leaders, federal leaders, focus on crowding and uh, decreasing the number of patients that are boarding in the emergency department, then that's where I would really put an emphasis right at this moment. Now, the long-term solutions that I would hope we would see the effect of in the emergency department setting would be you know, providing more comprehensive primary care to patients. It's high quality and focuses on prevention. And it's you know, quite clear that we won't have enough family physicians to do that. And so we'll need to build and, and uh, facilitate multidisciplinary teams that patients can access in a timely manner, but also that do comprehensive preventive medicine as part of their practices. Every patient for every encounter is not going to be able to see a family physician. Uh, I think that's the reality of our, our current system going forward. And so expanding roles of nurse practitioners in those environments, dietitians, counselors, I think all of those are, are needed. There's crowding, and then there's also those smaller rural and remote hospital emergency departments that are closing now uh, as a matter of course. Are there any things out there that can help those emergency departments remain open? You know, the closures are directly related to human resources uh, and staffing. And so focusing on retention of staff in those environments and not just rural emergency departments, but even you know, large volume urban emergency departments have faced higher rates of attrition of their staff than they've ever seen before. And so I have not heard any measures that are focused on retaining your most experienced staff in emergency departments in Canada. And to me, every time that you lose that 20-year nurse who's been working in emergency medicine to, a, to another field, 
I think that is a huge loss to the healthcare system and the patients that, that they serve. You're saying all of this and you're a lot younger than I am. I've been doing this for four decades. Uh, you could be doing this in 30 years. I want to know what ERs might look like in 20 or 30 years if uh, we don't address these issues. Have you thought about that? I, th I think all of us who have worked through the pandemic in an emergency department have thought about our futures and providing emergency care uh, and what that might look like and what it has looked like over the last couple of years, because it's been pretty difficult. And I would say that's an understatement. But looking towards the future, if we're on the same course that we're on right now, it's estimated that emergency department utilization will far exceed our population growth. So it means that we need to plan for that as opposed to thinking of Band-Aid solutions that, you know, may deter a low acuity visit to the emergency department. We've been talking quite pessimistically about emergency medicine today. I wanted to close by asking you if you see any hope, and if you do, where do you see the hope? Where do I see hope? Uh, I, I see hope amongst my colleagues who have remained uh, practicing in the emergency department environment when they've had many opportunities uh, to practice in greener pastures. And their dedication and ingenuity and malleability to provide the best care that they can to the patient in front of them is very inspiring. And they, they do the best that they can. And so that's what I would say to a patient who's needing emergency care in Canada right now, is that if you feel that you need emergency care, please seek emergency care, because we will do our best to, to look after you. And for those patients that need the, you know, resuscitation or our, our most acute emergency care, we will see you first and we will try to do our best to see you in a space that's going to facilitate the best resuscitation that we can provide. And to all patients who otherwise have lower acuity conditions, please be patient uh, because we will see you. We will provide high quality care, but it may take longer, but we will do the best that we can to provide high quality care that you deserve. Dr. Catherine Varner, I would certainly list you as one of the exemplars of those who rise above and beyond the challenge. And uh, I wanna thank you for speaking with us. Thank you so much, Brian, for having me. Emergency physicians like Dr. Catherine Varner are good at coping with whatever crisis is thrown their way. But as she said, resilience has its limits. What to do about healthcare was one of the key topics at the meeting of Canada's provincial premiers in Winnipeg this week. They need to pay attention to the ER crisis. That's our show this week. If you'd like to comment, our email address is whitecoat at cbc.ca. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by Amina Zopper with help from Jeff Goods. Our digital producer is Ruby Buiza. Technical operations were by Lauda Antonelli. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.